So good to be with all of you today in the house of the Lord. Uh, I hope that you're um, experiencing God today. I want to welcome all of those who are watching online. And uh, I hope that if you're near here, that next Sunday you'll be with us celebrating Easter. Um, But Jesus didn't call it Easter. The disciples didn't call it Easter. They called it Resurrection Sunday. Because it's the day that our God... Uh, Jesus rose from the grave and changed everything forever. And uh, what a wonderful day it's going to be. Amen? Uh, Grab your Bibles with me, if you will. Open them to Matthew chapter uh, 21, verse 6. You can also open or put a a marker on Psalm chapter 8. Matthew 21 and Psalm 8. A couple of quick things I want to mention to you. Um, first of all, uh, celebration tomorrow morning, about eight o'clock, uh, they will actually begin work on the interior of our sanctuary. So great news. Uh, we finally got our engineers, uh, inspection report certification situation, whatever it was. And, uh, he said, you can start. So that is uh, great news. We're looking forward to that. Uh, on Another thing, uh, Pastor Damon texted me today, uh, just a few minutes ago, and asked me, he said, we're trying to get 1,000 likes on our Triumph DC Facebook by Easter uh, to start providing regular prayer updates. Uh, and so he, what he asked me was, if, uh, if I could ask all of you who are on Facebook and who have a smartphone in your hand, if you could get it out right now and like Triumph DC. I don't even know how to do that. I don't, I'm not a Facebooker. Did somebody's phone just ring, like literally? Like, that is funny. Uh, that is funny right there. Okay, so uh, like Triumph DC, we're trying to get 1,000 uh, by Easter Sunday with all of our campuses. We should be able to do that. And uh, looking forward uh, to updating everyone uh, on what's happening there. Pastor Damon took a crew of people uh, to uh, Washington DC just a week or so ago on on. On spring break, there's several families praying about going with him and uh, several families that God has already spoken to, uh, some even from in this house that we're excited and we'll, we'll be telling you more about that uh, as the time comes. But we're excited about uh, Triumph Church in Washington, D.C. All right, one other thing uh, while, you're, while you're liking Facebook, when you leave today, you'll get a piece of paper that looks something like this, although it's probably not folded like mine is. Uh, but what it has on it is a Holy Week Bible reading plan. And I want to challenge you to take some time this week out of your life, out of your schedule. This is not just any week. This is not just uh, a week where we talk about Easter bunnies and, and all the good things that are happening right now. This week is about something specific. Uh, it's a time of celebration, but what we're celebrating is actually one of the most gr- gruesome events that ever took place in the course of history. Uh, and so, in, in, and I don't want to be a downer today. I, we want to celebrate. I believe that, that Christ wants us to celebrate his resurrection. But in that, I don't want us to forget what we're celebrating. Make sense? And so this is a Bible reading plan that takes you starting tomorrow uh, through each day of what Jesus did on his final week right here on the earth. Uh, some of it you probably know, maybe some you've never read, uh, maybe you didn't realize how the flow of events took place. And I'm challenging you to take some time with your family, sit down and read and uh, together to talk about what uh, Jesus did 
uh, and, and just remind ourselves in this season what's happening and what's going on. And uh, I did this with my family last year. We talked about it every morning, and uh, it was a wonderful time, and I want to challenge you to do that as well. So you'll, you can get those on your way out. The ushers will have one for you. All right. Are you through liking it on Facebook, and are you ready to get started? Everybody got their cell phone turned on uh, uh, violent, uh, not violent, uh, <laughs> vibrate, <laughs> so, so it doesn't get violent in here. That would... All right, Matthew chapter 21, verse 6. If you're there, say amen. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. I find this interesting here. Which was Jesus on, the donkey or the colt? Look, they set him on them. Now, how did you ride two animals at one time? I'm just saying. Have you ever thought about that? My brain, I can't help it. It doesn't turn off sometimes. Uh, And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down branches from the tree. There was no sermon in that, by the way, and there is no answer. Um, and And they spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, who comes, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. It's amazing here how they are getting this right and wrong at the same time. If you back up and listen to what they're saying, they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is a word, a Hebrew word that means save now, save us now. The son of David is a messianic title, meaning it is from prophecies about the Messiah. It is a title. So they are saying, save us now, Messiah, who was supposed to be God, And yet then they ask him who he is. They get it right. And then they ask who it is. And they say, well, he's just a prophet. They were saying something and not even getting what they were saying. It's going to be important in a few moments because uh, someone else is going to say it. And it's all going to come together. Then Jesus went to the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out of the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. I want to talk to you. My title today is a little strange. It's not going to make sense to you until we get to the end of the sermon, but uh, it will in a few moments. My title today is A Canary in a Coal Mine. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your presence that we felt here today, for the miracles that you've already done in the first service and in our worship time today. God, I believe that you're here. And um, we celebrate this season. We celebrate this time. We look forward uh, to spending some extra time with you this week. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. One other thing I forgot to mention you uh, before, we, before we dive in. Um, I just found out between services that yesterday, uh, well, there is, a, there is a show that's coming on uh, BET very soon. You may have heard of it called Sunday's Best. Is that right, Lindsay? Sunday's Best, and it's kind of a singing show type deal. 
Uh, and yesterday, uh, our own pastor, Christopher Deegan, went and tried out. And uh, he didn't make it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you are clapping. I didn't even tell you. <laughs> like, what, what if I said he just failed miserably and flopped? It was embarrassing. They ran him out of the room. You, you'd have felt really bad. No, uh, he got put through to a list of finalists. Uh, and then they, from that list of all the cities, they choose 20 uh, to go to Atlanta here in a few weeks. And so um, we're uh, going to be praying for him and supporting him. Can y'all do that? Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be on the radio today at 2.30, 2.15? No? One o'clock? I was way off. Sometime today. He's going to be on uh, Magic 102.1. It's a Houston radio show. They'll be calling. He'll be doing uh, a live on-air uh, little deal there. And uh, so we're excited about that, right? All right. All right. Enough of that. Let's talk Jesus. <laughs> Uh, the story I just read to you is, uh, is a very important story because this is what is happening on Jesus' last trip into Jerusalem. When Jesus comes this time, he won't leave because he'll be crucified before he can get out of town again. This is what happens on, on Palm Sunday 2,000 years ago as the people, uh, as Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. Here's how he gets that donkey. It's an amazing story, really is that he gets to the edge of town, to the Mount of Olives, and he stops there and he said to his disciples, I want you to go into town, you're going to see a donkey and its colt tied up to a hitching post, I guess. They're going to, you're going to see them tied up there, and I just want you to untie them and bring them to me. You know what he just said to them? I want you to steal that guy's donkey. <laughs> well, you know, their question is, well, Jesus, what do we say if somebody says, what happens to your donkey? What are, we, what are you doing with my donkey and my colt? Why are you taking them? Well, you tell them the Lord has need of it, and that'll be good enough. Really? <laughs> what if you walked out of church today, and somebody was stealing your car, and they're driving off in your brand new vehicle, and you say, where are you going in my car? Well, the Lord has need of it. Hey, take good care of it. Don't get any dents or scratches. Fill it up with gas when you come back. We'll be okay. No. <laughs> but this is what Jesus says, and the reason he does this is because he has to fulfill prophecy. He had to come in just like this in order to fulfill biblical prophecy, or he couldn't. If he didn't, the, the, the Old Testament is full of messianic prophecies from the book of Genesis uh, all the way through to the book of Malachi. The entire Old Testament is full of prophecies about the Messiah. And if Jesus had not fulfilled every single one of them, he would not have been the Messiah. So Jesus literally had to stop at the Mount of Olives and tell them to go do this and bring it back so he could ride in on this donkey in the colt in, in order to fulfill the prophecy and therefore he could be the Messiah, the Christ, the one who came to save us. So he said, go get the donkey, bring it to me. I'm going to come riding in and it's, it's going to be a, a good thing. So he comes riding in and the people uh, start laying down palm branches and their clothes. They were taking their cloaks off and laying them on the road so that the donkey and the colt that were bringing Jesus in could come walking across them. And they've cut these palm branches and they're waving him and, and they're celebrating and they're saying, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed be and all the things that they're saying. And they're just worshiping and it's a great time. Well, what they were doing, the reason the palm branches were important in this story is because they this was the same um, parade, if you will, that was used to celebrate when a king would come home from a war as victorious. 
But instead of coming home on this big horse as a warring king, he comes in a donkey, which was a sign that he was the prince of peace. So he's coming in as victorious and yet peaceful all at the same time. And so all these things are coming together. And the people are worshiping him as if he was a king, even though he is not the king. So he's coming in. And, uh, but what happens is, Jesus doesn't, the first thing he does when he gets into town, his first time back to Jerusalem, he doesn't stop now and go to his favorite restaurant and sit down and eat first. He didn't go by and visit his friends and stop and see how their house, the first place that Jesus goes when he comes into town is the temple. He goes to the house of God. And he, he, is on, he is on a mission. He has something that he has to do. And that is he has to clean the temple out because it is full of junk. It is full of thieves. It, it is full of robbery and deceit. And it is all being led by the chief priests and the religious folks of the day. Here's what they were doing. He walks in and the Bible says he, he clears them all out. He kicks the tables over. There were two major pieces of deceit and, 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 and rackets going on. The first one was that in this season, the people were bringing their lambs in to be sacrificed. This was Moses' law. They had to do this. You had to bring in the firstborn uh, uh, and you had to bring a spotless lamb to come and to be sacrificed. And so you would bring your lamb up and uh, a man would be standing there and, and a priest would say, that's a good looking lamb. The problem is uh, he is not acceptable. He is not good enough. So what you're actually going to have to do is you sell us this one. We'll, we'll give you $50 for this lamb. Uh, but I've got one back here in the back pasture that is acceptable. He is good enough. And we're saving him just for you. So you sell us yours for 50 But what we're going to have to do, because you know these acceptable sacrifices are hard to come by, we're going to have to sell you this one for 100 so you give me your lamb for 50 and I'll sell you this lamb for 100 and then you can offer it as a sacrifice. Are you with me? So the, what do you, you have no choice. You have to offer a sacrifice. It has to be acceptable. And the, and the priest, who is the authority, is telling you, yours is not going to work, but for another $50 you can do that. Right? So you pull $50 out of your pocket, you give it to him, you make the exchange, and the priest just made $50 on the sacrifice. But here's what he does. He takes yours, hands it to someone else, they walk it around to the back of the temple, and uh, they lead your, the, your new lamb out, and you go on your way. The next person comes up, and they say, um, uh, they say well, you know, I, here's my lamb, and the priest says the same thing. This lamb is not acceptable. Uh, you're going to need to buy from us an acceptable lamb. We'll give you $50 for this lamb. So they give you $50. They take your lamb around to the back and they bring out of the pasture the same lamb that was sold to the customer in front of you from, or was bought from the customer in front of you that they had said was unacceptable. They're now calling it acceptable and selling it to you for twice the money. Do you see the racket that's going on here? Now you imagine doing this 100,000, 500,000, maybe even a million times every year at this point. The second piece that's going on is you heard him, you, Jesus said he turned over the money tables. Matthew said he turned over the money tables. Um, so so on, one, on one part of the temple... Uh, out in the court where there's supposed to be people praying, this, this racket with the lambs is going on. And then you come over to this other place, and there are the tables of the money changers. 
And so at this time, the, the Israelites were under the rule of the Romans. They were being forced to use Roman currency or denarius. Uh, and so, but, but you had to come and pay your temple tax. But the, the priest would not accept a denarius in order to pay the temple tax because the Roman denarius had a picture of Caesar on it who claimed himself to be God and therefore they're saying you can't use a coin that claims someone else to be God in order to pay your tax to the true God. Sounds reasonable enough except what they were doing was they were charging exorbitant rates to exchange your money. So instead of getting a dollar for a dollar, you would have to pay $10 to get one of the acceptable money to exchange it. And then you could pay your temple tax. So the temple is now getting the temple tax plus they're getting the exorbitant exchange rates. And then they're using that money anyway uh, for for, for whatever the temple needed and whatever the priest needed. So the priest could use the money, but you couldn't use the money. There was so much money being made. There's actually a, there's a hillside there in Jerusalem where they were building these massive mansions and homes for all these businessmen that were running it that were in cahoots with the high priest and, the, and, and all of the other priests that were working in the temple. They lived there as, almost as kings because they were bringing in millions and millions and millions of dollars. I even read one commentary that said that the money that was made off the people of God in that time is still being lived off of by their descendants today because they brought in so much money stealing from the people of God. Jesus is not happy about this. He, 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 the, he goes on the, the first ever spring cleaning and he starts kicking people out. Get out of my house. You have got to go. And so the first thing that Jesus does when he comes into town, they're worshiping him, they're celebrating, it's a wonderful occasion. But he cleans out his temple. He says, I've got to get rid of some things in here that don't belong. But here's the good news. Jesus didn't leave the temple empty. He didn't leave it and say, he didn't take everything out and tell them not to put back what didn't tell them to put things back in. But he gave them three things that he wanted back in his temple. And I want to share those three things with you today. Would you like to know what Jesus would like in his house? The first thing is this. Uh, he said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. First thing that Jesus wants in his house is he wants it to be a place of prayer. He wants prayer to be natural. He wants prayer to be continual. He wants prayer to be easy. He wants prayer to happen. Every, he, he wants prayer going on in his house. One of the reasons he said this is because they were actually doing all this money changing and, and the lamb thing out in what's called the court of Gentiles. The court of Gentiles was the only place that you and I would have been allowed to go to to come and to pray and to experience uh, the, the true God. It was as close as we could come to getting into church to pray. And so Jesus said, instead of people coming to pray, instead of people coming and in, in, in getting to experience God, all they're doing is coming and seeing religious people lying and cheating and stealing, and it's turning them away from God. And so he said, I want my house specifically. He's standing in the court of Gentiles. He's saying the the court of prayer. He's saying, I want this to be a house of prayer. I want prayer going on. Here's the thing. In the New Testament, 
The Bible teaches us that the temple of, uh, of God is not just this building, but it's each and every Christian. We are the temple of God. So now, the question moves beyond, is the church a place of prayer? And it becomes a question of, is my life a life of prayer? Do I pray? Do I spend time with him? Do I spend time reading my word? When was the last time outside of right before a meal, right before, uh, right before you fell asleep, or, or when someone was leading prayer at church, when was the last time you stopped and really prayed with God? He said, my house, this one, and you and I should be called a house of prayer. So Jesus got rid of the junk, and he put in prayer. What is it in our life that might need to go to make room for prayer? What is it in our life that when people come to experience our God, when they get around us and should be experiencing God, they're not experiencing it because we filled it with other stuff? I better keep moving. The second thing is, as soon as this happens in verse uh, 14, I don't even know where I'm at on my notes here. In verse 14, then the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. The second thing that Jesus wants in his house is Jesus wants power. Jesus wants power. Jesus wants the dunamis, miraculous, explosive power of God at work. He said, man, this is the house of God. What God? The God who created the heavens and the earth. The same God who delivered, delivered the Israelites out of Moses. The same God who split uh, the Red Sea so they could walk across on dry land. The same God who caused Moses to strike a rock and enough water to came out that it could feed two million Israelites. This is the same God that spoke to Joshua and said, all you got to do is march around Jericho a few times and the walls are going to fall down flat. This is the same God who through over and over and over had performed miracle after miracle miracle after miracle after miracle but miracles were long since forgotten now so Jesus said power has to come back to my house I believe that the power of God should be at work in every single church today I believe that the power of the Holy Spirit, this, this dunamis power, these miracles should be at work. And when we come into this house, one of the things that makes Triumph Church and Spirit-filled churches uh, distinctive and unique is that we believe that miracles are still happening today. We believe that when you come to this altar and you grab hands with another believer and they say, what can I pray with you about? And you say, I need prayer for healing in my body. We believe the scripture when he says, by his stripes we are healed. We believe in the scripture when he says to pray the prayer of faith and by the laying on of hands of the elders that healing would happen. I, I believe that. I believe in the power of God that it should be at work in every church. But more than that, again, where is the temple? It's not just this building. It's you and I. So I believe that the power of God should be at work in your life. I believe that you should be able to pray and things happen when you pray. I believe that you should be able to pray that what the Bible calls the prayer of faith, to call on the, the gifts of God, and, and things begin to happen when you pray because power should be resonant in you. And all you got to do is be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. When God comes in you, when he lives in you through his Holy Spirit, he empowers you to do things beyond what we're capable of. 
But what's unique about these, uh, these prayers and these miracles that Jesus does is the first thing that he does is he, uh, he, he heals the blind. So blind who once were able to see, but then they lost their sight for some reason. Now they come to Jesus and he restores their sight. So this was a miracle of restoration. This was, this, was a, this was God taking a person who used to be able to do something, who used to have something, who used to function in one way, but then they lost it because of things that happened in life, but God restored it back to them. God is a God who loves to restore things. It does him great pleasure to bring restoration to our lives. So he says, I want to restore things for you. I don't know if you need a miracle of restoration in your life, but I believe that God wants to do it for you. I believe he wants to restore the hope that may have been lost, that, that the enemy may have stolen from you. I believe that he wants to restore the family that you thought you lost forever. I believe that he wants to restore uh, the home that you lost because of the fall in the economy. I believe that God is a restorer, and he wants to restore things back to you. That's the power he wants to release in your life. The second thing he did was... He uh, healed the lame. This is a life-changing miracle right here. This is a blessing right here. This is not just a, well, the guy couldn't walk, and then he got up and walked one day, but then he had to go lay back down on the mat, and he couldn't walk anymore. No, no, no. This was a miracle that was a life change for him because now he didn't have to be a beggar any longer. Where was, the, where was the lame guy sitting? He was sitting outside the temple hoping that when people were coming to, to God, they would have the generosity to give to him. This is what, this is what uh, lame men did. This was how they earned a living was on the generosity of other people. And they were laid as beggars because they couldn't do anything else. And so now this man can go from being a beggar and, and, and to being almost an outcast, an afterthought of society, to now he is a contributing member of society. He's able to go out and get a job. He's able to go out and raise his family. He's able to go out and be the father that he always wanted to be. He's able to give back. Now he's the guy that can walk down and give to the other people because God did a life-changing miracle in him. He's reminded of it every morning when he's able to get up and, and start walking and, and make his own cup of coffee for the first time. He's reminded of the miracle that Jesus did for them. Every time he, he runs through the field chasing after his kid, uh, playing a game of tag, he's reminded of the miracle that Jesus did for him. Why? Because it was a life-changing miracle. Jesus is in the business of doing life-changing miracles. What is it in your life? That if God could just do that for you, if, you could, if something could change in this one area, it would change everything else in your life. You see, God healed his legs, but it affected every part of his life. Is there somewhere in your life, something you've been praying for, that, that it, if you could just get this, everything else would probably be okay? you got a lot of problems, but they all boil down to this one thing. And if God could just do that, it would release everything else to function as it's supposed to. That's the kind of a life-changing miracle I believe God wants to do in your life today. You say, well, Pastor Rand, miracles don't happen anymore. I, I, they do, actually. Um, they do happen. I, I want to read you just a couple of uh, quick... I just grabbed a couple of uh, our 
praise reports on, on the way out of the office today. Uh, just praise reports. And, and, and you see these. We, we remind you to fill them out. Prayer requests and praise reports. They come in uh, almost weekly uh, or every week we get them. And we hear of the good things that God is doing in your life. I encourage you to fill these out. L- listen to this. Um, I would like to praise God for accepting me into my dream college. Now, listen, it's even more of a miracle when you realize uh, it's Texas A&M. So, <laughs> y'all know I'm an Aggie at heart, you see? So that's, a, that's clearly a miracle. That's worth celebrating right there. Uh, how about this? Uh, it's been a few years, but I finally was blessed with a new car. It was very worth the wait, and finally I'm able to take my children on a real vacation. It's very overwhelming, but I thank God for his many blessings. Thanking God for a son uh, who's been struggling with behaviors and self-controls, but God got him in with the right doctor and things. Uh, They're thanking God for transformation in the child. Amen. Uh, This is one of my favorites. This just came in, uh, I guess, a a week or so, a month or so ago. Uh, I'm praising God for this place. I like that one. I like that one. Uh, How about this? They're not with us today. They're still in the hospital. Um, But uh, William and Mimi Matumbo have been praying for over a decade for God to give them a child. And uh, God didn't give them one. He gave them two. Gave them twins, a boy and a girl. And... uh, You'll get to meet them very soon. I look forward to, to introducing you to them. Uh, how about this? Uh, pastors Brandon and Crystal, our youth pastors here, uh, have been struggling. A few years ago, they won a settlement in, in, a, in a case. And through the process, their, their attorney messed some things up and, and caused them from some very, very serious problems with the IRS. The IRS was saying they owed thousands and thousands and thousands. Of, can I say how much? How much was it? $20,000. Now, that's a lot of money for a lot of people, but, you know, these are young guys, a young family, that's a whole lot of money. And saying they had to, they had to pay it, and uh, all these things were going to start happening to them. And right now, we are waiting for the final approval that, that God has worked a miracle, that not only do they not owe it, but they're actually going to get money back. Because God is still a God that works miracles. And if you don't believe that, ask a few people what God has done for them. Pastor Dino talked about it today, how much God has done in his life. God is still working. He wants to work for you. I want the power of God evident in this house and in your life. The third thing that Jesus wants... We see this in verse 15. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David. We see here now the children begin to worship. The third thing that Jesus wanted back, he got rid of the thieves, he got rid of the junk that shouldn't have been there, and he wanted to bring back praise and worship. He said, prayer, power, and praise and worship. It's what Jesus wanted in his house. But why did they get so angry when the children started worshiping? Because remember now, the adults had said, Hosanna, son of David. But then he comes into the temple, 
drives out the money changers. The chief priests and the scribes haven't said anything. They're not worried about the, the adults out there. But the moment the children start say, singing and worshiping, Hosanna, Hosanna, Son of David, save us now, Messiah, the chief priests blow up. They were indignant. They were furious. Why? Um, years ago, before we had modern technology, uh, coal miners had a very serious problem. And that is that when they were working down in their mines and, and, and digging the coal out and, and doing the things they were doing down there, they would often hit pockets of toxic gases, methane, uh, carbon monoxide, and they would hit it and it would be released into the air, but they had no way of knowing it because they didn't have nice little detectors that could pick up on it, nor could you smell it. You actually can't smell most of these toxic gases. Today, we actually add sulfur to it so you can smell it, but then it's coming right out of the mountain. They don't have that. So you can't smell it. They don't know what's happening. And without some type of warning system, they would literally just fall over dead. In the, and just, just working along, and they would just fall over dead. They needed a warning system. So what these men did was they realized that a canary, a small little yellow bird, you've seen them, uh, had a hypersensitivity to these toxic gases. So as soon as they got just a little bit of it in their lungs, they would immediately fall over dead. The other thing about a canary that they learned is that canaries love to sing. You ever heard or seen or been around a canary? They're just singing nonstop. I mean, to the point where it drives you crazy. Just, you know, shut, somebody shut that thing up. Uh, and so the bird would just sing and sing and sing because it is in the nature of a canary to sing. And so they decided this is the perfect warning system. They would put the canary in a little cage. They would bring it down the shaft with them when they went to work there. They'd bring it down in the mine, and they would begin to work. And as long as they could hear the canary singing, they knew they were okay. But the moment the canary stopped singing, it meant the canary had died and they, due to the toxic uh, gases, and they better run for cover. This became their alarm system. In fact, even in, in Great Britain, they used this all the way up uh, into the 19th and 20th century because it was so effective. It worked. You may have heard the term before, like a, like a canary in a coal mine. This is where it came from. And it talks about people that serve as a warning sign to others. People that their, their life, something that they do, warns others of impending doom of some kind. Here's what I want you to know. Uh, that the children, when they begin worshiping, the heart of a child is the worship canary. It was a warning sign that something was different. When the adults sang, Hosanna, son of David... Did nothing to get the chief priests and the scribes upset. But when the children started singing it, something changed. There hadn't been children singing in the temple in a long time. There hadn't been children singing and, and running and wondering. Because, you see, children, uh, children are sensitive. They are pure. They are innocent. They're also ob oblivious. How many have a child that is oblivious? I do. How many, I mean, living with a kid, raising a kid is a constant no. No. 
No, don't do that. Don't do that. No, you can't go there. No, you can't do that. Uh, no, you can't take your diaper off in Walmart. No. Uh, no, you can't pick your nose. No, you can't pick my nose. No. Get your underwear off your head. Wh where did you get those from? Stay out of the dirty clothes hamper. <laughs> you see, I didn't make that one up. Look, look at this picture right here. This is my son right there. I didn't make... <laughs> That's a, that's a few years ago. Uh, he said he was a superhero. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. He's going to hate me for that one day, isn't he? <laughs> Roll the window down. Uh, don't talk to your mama that way. No, church isn't over. Sit down and shut up. You ever said this? When I get you home. I'm in a restaurant right now, and I don't want everybody to think I'm crazy, but when I get home, you're going to see crazy. <laughs> the school is calling again. What did you do this time? I don't even want to answer. What did you do? Tell me right now. I want to know. It is constant. Don't do this. Don't do that. Because there is always something that a kid who is just walking around, enjoying life, they, got, they, they must be stopped from doing something. They've got to be stopped because they, just, they just get into things. My son gets into stuff every single day. You have to keep one eye on him at all times because he just didn't. No, you cannot run out in the parking lot. There are cars coming. They're oblivious. They're just enjoying their life, having a good time. And we're, we're there trying to protect them, trying to guard them, uh, trying to teach them how to not get into trouble. They're just oblivious, but they're also sensitive. Think about it. You're fighting with your spouse. Your kid overhears, and he went from laughing and playing to suddenly he gets really quiet. He may even be too young to understand what you're talking about or what the issue is, but he knows something is wrong, something is out of order, something is out of whack, something is not right. And so he gets very quiet, and then he begins to cry. And then he runs to his room, and he, and he hides because something is not right. Because kids, even though they are at times totally oblivious, they are also very sensitive. Just like the canary who is totally oblivious to what is going on, just singing away, but he's also very, very sensitive to the toxic gases and responds immediately. So when the children began singing, it showed a sensitivity to something. The children, walking around in the day of Jesus, there were many men claiming to be the Messiah. There were many men saying, uh, you know, I, I am the Messiah, I am the Christ, follow me. And, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees and the, and the Sadducees, they fought with them, but they didn't pay them that much mind because it was kind of a common thing. There, were, there was, I've, I've read where it was up to 200 or so men walking around in the days of Jesus claiming to be the Messiah. And so when, when the scribes and the Pharisees heard somebody out in a parade saying that he was the son of David and that he was the Messiah and that he was Hosanna, they didn't think a whole lot about it. But something shifted when the kids started singing. We find out what it is because Jesus takes them right to it. Psalm chapter 8, verse 2. Here's what he says. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength. Now, he's, he's speaking here to God. God, you 
taught through, through the mouths, out of the mouths of babes and infants. You, you have taught them to, to perfect praise or to tell of your strength. This word here in the Greek means to sing and tell of your praises. So he said, you taught them to tell of your praises. So he connects these two scriptures. And the scribes and the Pharisees knew this. The, the chief priests knew this. That when the children start singing the praises, they can only be taught to sing the praise of the one true Messiah. So when they came in the temple and start claiming Jesus is the Messiah and Jesus is the son of David, then the, suddenly it get, the, the adults can do it on their own and they can be totally wrong. But the kids are oblivious. They're just playing games and having fun and suddenly something in them, an alarm goes off as since sensitivity goes off and they begin singing and they begin worshiping and they begin celebrating because out of the mouth of babes and infants you have perfected praise and so when jesus said this they explode they are indignant because they know the kids are worshiping the true messiah right now and they didn't want to admit it and they didn't want to face it and they blow up the second thing that we notice here is that he says uh it silences this this worship silences your enemies all who oppose you. Got problems blowing up in my life. I got issues blowing up. I don't know what to do, Pastor Randon. Well, you ought to check your praise meter. Sometimes we just got to stop and sing a little bit. Sometimes we just got to stop and worship a little bit. I'm not talking just because uh, the praise team let us out in four specific songs, but I'm talking about in your own life, in your own world, in your own time, just something inside of you says, I got to sing. I don't know what's going on right now, but I got to worship and I got to praise and I got to lift up a a, a hallelujah to God. I got to sing Hosanna for some reason. I don't even remember all the words of the songs, but something inside of me says, I have to worship. That's what Jesus wanted. He wanted praise and worship back in his temple and in the lives of his believers. He wanted people who were willing to praise and worship. I know that life seems dark and cold like a, like a mine. And I know that you may seem like you're locked in a cage, but you're still a canary. And you were still made to sing the praises of God. Sometimes we just have to lift up a worship and a praise to God. And when we do, when you begin to praise and worship with your family, it's why, one of the reasons why throughout the year we bring all of our kids in with us and we worship right along beside them. Because when a family starts worshiping together, the enemy begins to scatter. The enemy begins to shut up and to move on. And something changes. Do you need to check your praise meter in your life is there enough praise going on or is it are are we just too busy pastor ran and i was going to but you know this came up and this came up and this came up and this came up and we get so much going on so much happening that we never have time to stop and praise see your praise is an alarm to the enemy but your lack of praise should be an alarm that something is not right in you. Where's your praise meter? Where's your prayer meter? Where's your power meter? This is what Jesus wanted in his house, and this is what he wants in your life. Prayer, power, and praise. He said we got to get rid of the junk so we can put in what's supposed to be there. In a moment, I'm going to ask our pastors and elders to come and uh, make themselves available 
And uh, when they do, I, I want to open this altar for those of you in need of a miracle today. You need the power of God released into your life. You need God to do something that you've been praying for, praying about, believing for, asking for, hoping for, dreaming about, uh, writing it on the back of your envelope. I've got one. My wife writes it on our offering envelope. Two services on Sunday, one on Wednesday. Every time, we're just believing and praying. And I'm believing that the power of God is going to be released into that situation right now. And I believe the same for you. Because God is coming back. He's coming in. He's bringing power with him power to do life-changing miracles in your life. If you're watching at home, power to do restoring miracles. Whatever you need, God wants to do that. So in just a moment, when these altars are open, as we stand in just a second, I want you to step out of your seat and come. Let our pastors, let our elders, let our prayer partners, let us join our faith with yours and believe that God is going to do what his word promises he'll do. All right. Stand with me across this room, if you will. Pastors and elders, come. If you want to come, if you need to pray about something in your life, if you need a miracle, it doesn't matter what it is. God is in the miracle-working business. It's what he does. Come and let us pray with you.